0: Two Second Timothy 4 1 through 5. Second Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through five. Churches across America are doing a lot of different things this morning. If you go to a variety of churches, you're going to see a lot of different things. Some are going to have some inspirational dramas that they're going to do. Uh, that are moral and that get an idea across that they're trying to get across. Some uh, have some, are going to have some amazing concerts today, complete with light shows and fog and drums. It's going to be an amazing concert. Some uh, are even going to have flying circus trapeze artists flying across the stage. Others, in fact many, like this one, take a massive amount of time for some guy to stand in front and talk a long time about a passage of Scripture. A lot of churches are doing that. Why would a church do that? Isn't that kind of old-fashioned, kind of of out-of-date, perhaps even a little bit boring? We're told that preaching doesn't work anymore. So why in the world would a church continue to hold on to this relic. Well, last week, in fact, the last two weeks, we have spent significant time looking at the power and the importance of the Bible. We observe that we must anchor ourselves to the Bible if we are going to live in the middle and have impactful lives in this wicked world. We observe that it is God's written message for us. It is inspired and it is sufficient to give us everything we need for the work that God has called us to accomplish. If this is true, and it is, well then that's the reason for the preaching of the Word of God. It is vitally important. And so today I want to lay out a defense of for the vital importance of the preaching of the Word of God. As we begin chapter 4 of Second Timothy, the challenge is presented that the preaching of the Word must be vitally important for the church. And as a result, you must demand and seek out and value the proper preaching of the Word of God. This is a text that we looked at a couple of years ago in our series on the uh, marks of a healthy church, the characteristics of a healthy church. And I want to revisit it again today as this next text in Second Timothy. Let's read together verses one through five of chapter four. Paul writes, "I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach." Always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. In this text, Paul challenges pastors and churches to demand, seek out, and value the proper preaching of the Word. It's to be a central aspect of the church and their worship service. We observe the vital importance of the preaching in this text in four ways. First, we see the motivation, the motivation for preaching, the supernatural motivation for this charge. Why is it so important that we as a church heed this charge and it's a solemn charge it's it's a command that we're to take seriously why is it that we make the preaching of god's word the central part of our worship well verse one tells us i charge you in the presence of god in christ jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom we see first off the presence of god this phrase The presence, in the presence of, parallels a common format used in Roman courts and legal documents that would have been used in that day. Timothy and others would have been familiar with it. A typical summons might have begun something like this. The case will be drawn up against you in the court at Ephesus in the presence of the Honorable Judge Agrippa. So as he says, I charge you in the presence of God. It reminds us that we live and we work in the presence of God and Christ. Even when no one else around is around to notice. Christ and God are. Even when no one else notices what is going on, God and Christ do. God the Father, who sent His Son to redeem sinners, is watching to see if we are proclaiming the message He's given us. Christ Jesus, who gave His life as a ransom, bears witness to our obedience to herald that good news you see the preaching of the word is vitally important because the preacher's ultimate accountability is not to a board it's not to a local church or to any other human the preacher's ultimate accountability is to the lord who called and empowered him and witnesses his every action secondly we see though the appearing of christ jesus We're reminded that this witness is important because Christ will return to judge all things. The preaching of the word is vitally important because of the appearing of Christ. The word appearing is the word which we get the English word epiphany from. It's a manifestation. It's referring specifically to Christ's second advent. One author notes that this word was also used of a Roman emperor. His ascension to the throne of the emperor is called was called his epiphany. And in particular, and this is the background of Paul's phrase here, it was used of a visit by the emperor to any province or town. The emperor's appearance in any place was his epiphany. The preacher and the church are encouraged to demand, seek out and value the proper preaching of the word by the fact that Christ will appear and that those who are faithful will receive the crown of righteousness and be ushered into the heavenly kingdom that they faithfully proclaim. You know, in spite of the wickedness that surrounds us, in spite of the feeling that morality is losing, in spite of the frustration that we experience, Christ will appear in His radiant splendor, like the sun rising in the morning. That's our motivation to live righteous lives. That's our motivation to preach the Word, to make it central. That's what Paul tells Titus in Titus 2. He says, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live soberly righteously and godly lives in the present age waiting for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great god and our savior jesus christ and when christ appears he will judge us based on our faithfulness to rightly proclaim his message he says in the presence of christ who will judge us to judge as in a court of law examining the evidence making a ruling the day is coming when we will all give an account to God for what we do there's a day coming when we will stand before God and learn and learn that our choices here on earth have eternal consequences and Paul states then that this charge is in front of witnesses God and Christ We're called upon to observe this testimony. And it gives it a particular solemnity. It gives it a particular awe. This isn't just any witness. This is the witness. God the Father who sent the Son to redeem sinners. And Christ Jesus who not only died for sinners. But is the judge of all mankind. Witness our every action. God observes all that we're doing. He's taking our actions into account. And one day God will judge all we do. And it will be final. Unlike our human courts, when Christ renders the final verdict, there'll be no argument. There'll be no appeal. There'll be no new evidence. No cross-examination. No other witnesses to call. No excuses. No jury of peers. The judgment... Will be absolutely final. Reminded that God in Romans 2:16 judges the secrets of men, the things that no one else knows. We're told not, in First Corinthians four: or five, not to pronounce judgment before time, because the Lord comes, and He will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness, and will disclose the purposes of the heart. In 2 Thessalonians 1.7, Paul says that when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. We're reminded in 2 Corinthians 5.10 that we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You see, this thought that Christ will judge us should give us motivation And motivate us to demand and seek out and value the proper preaching of the word for two reasons. One is the threat or the thought of judgment. We don't want to stand before God in shame as disobedient children. But second is the thought of eternal reward. If we labor faithfully... Rightly preaching the word, if you demand and seek out and value the proper preaching of the word, then one day you will hear him say, well done. Enter into my kingdom and you'll enter into his glory with joy. See, Christ is coming. And so this leaves no time to waste on pragmatic games and foolish innovations or, or motivational speeches. He will appear. And so we must faithfully proclaim his message the way he said we should do it. The powerful, inspired, sufficient word of God. The final reason we should be motivated to demand and seek out and value the proper preaching of the word is that the kingdom of God is sure. He says, by his appearing and his kingdom. When Christ appears, he will usher in his kingdom. The politics of this world will be over. The foolish arguments of this world will be obsolete. The debates over rights and freedoms will be finished because his kingdom will be established in all its perfection. And the only thing that will be carried into it are the actions that we do today for that kingdom on behalf of that kingdom. And it is through the preaching of the word that we learn these things. And the reading of the word, the preaching of the word is vitally important because God's kingdom is sure. It is never obsolete. It's never out of date. Because God's kingdom is sure. And so we should demand and seek out and value the proper preaching of the word. Because it is the proclamation of the eternal kingdom that will be established. That can never fail. That will never be overthrown. That will never suffer from corruption. And will result in absolute peace. And in this kingdom... Those who have placed their faith and trust in Christ will experience satisfaction beyond measure. We had a picture of this in Revelation 5. And right in the middle of it, in verse 10, he says, You have, been ma- you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. You see, the preaching of the word is vital because it is supernaturally motivated. The second way in which we observe the vital importance of the preaching of the word is through the method of the preaching. Having given the motivation, Paul next moves to the core of the charge. The church is given a three-word charge. Three words both in the Greek and in the English. It says, preach the word. That's our charge. What is the church to do? What is our purpose? You can summarize it in three words preach the word says be ready in season and out of season reprove rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching we note the method of this preaching this proclamation in three aspects the first command preach the word is the basis for all the others the footsteps of the executioner came ever closer As Paul is considering and contemplating his final charge to Timothy, what is the last thing he should say to him in the face of death? Timothy, here's what you should do. Note, Paul does not challenge Timothy. Make sure you're entertaining people. Make sure you're making it enjoyable to get them in. He doesn't challenge him to ensure, make sure you have wonderful outreach events. There's nothing about the music ministry of the church, although all of those things I've mentioned are important and good. No, what does Paul tell him? Preach, proclaim, herald, make it a priority. Further, we're given the content of this preaching. It's it's not to be simply motivational speaking. It's not simply current events. It's not to be the politically conservative message. No. What does he say? Preach the Word. The inspired, sufficient Word of God. Paul says elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 4-5, he says, What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. In 1 Corinthians 2, he says, And when I came to you, brothers... In Colossians 1, verses 28 and 29, he says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. And we have that same charge today. We don't have the liberty to invent our message but to only proclaim, to only communicate the word which God has spoken and has committed to us in his word of God, committed to the church as a sacred trust. Further, we need to note that to proclaim God's word means we proclaim all of God's word. Every aspect, aspect of it, every theme of it. We don't just simply pick out some. And ignore others. It's why we go book by book and verse by verse through Scripture, because it forces us to deal with topics maybe we would rather not deal with, but that are vital. Paul does not say preach some of the Word, but rather preach the Word. The Word of God in its entirety is the material for the preacher's message, and the church has a responsibility to demand of the pastor that he preach the Word of God. You ought to say, help us see Jesus. Give us the word. You know, there's a tendency today to refer to it as dry, as academic. But doctrine is the teaching of what God has revealed. We don't dare teach anything else. This is why Paul had already challenged Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But faithful preaching should be lively, not dry, timely, not stale, because it is the earnest, faithful proclamation of God's message. It's not some speculation about man's views or about what's going on. And so preaching shouldn't be listless or or lackadaisical. The faithful preacher should recognize that he's handling matters of life and death. He's, He's announcing that sinners stand in judgment before God, but that Christ saves us and demands our lives. The saving action of God through the death and resurrection of Christ and the summons to repent and believe. and so we preach the word. we dare not preach anything else. The second aspect of the method we note is that it should be done with preparation and priority. He says, be ready in season and out of season. Word "be ready is the idea of taking one's stand or, or to stay at one's post. In The form found here, the word carries the ideas of urgency and preparedness and readiness it could be used of a soldier who's ready to go in battle on a moment's notice or of a guard who who keeps continually alert of any threat or attack by the enemy. This entails faithful preparation. It can't be something that's simply just thrown together or frankly stolen from others. It's not something to be shot from the hip. The faithful preacher is to prepare so that he's always at the ready. And ready in season and out of season. When it's well timed and convenient and when it's ill timed and inconvenient. The pastor in the church should always loudly and boldly proclaim the word whether the time is opportune or not whether it's in style or out of style, whether it's right, whether it's what the people want or whether it's out of date. God's word is always profitable. It's always in season. No matter what culture or marketing gurus or Christian celebrities say, the word of God is always the priority. The final aspect of the method of preaching we note is that it should be pastoral. By this, I mean that it should be done with intention, care, and compassion. We note the next three imperatives. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and instruction. The word reprove means to prove with demonstrable evidence to to convict or to expose to show to be guilty it it means sin must be brought home to our consciousness so that we repent of this sin it means that we apply the word of god to sinners and that by applying the word of god to us our sin is pointed out as a violation of god's standard and will here's what it means sometimes it's going to be uncomfortable Sometimes, as we handle the Word of God, as the Word of God is presented, we're going to walk out and we're not going to feel very good at all. In fact, we're going to feel downright bad. Because we're sinners. In violation of God. And His Word convicts us. That's not a bad thing. In fact, that is the design of God's Word. And so preachers are called not to make people feel good, but to present the word of God that their sin might be evident. It's not a popular message. It's not finding out what felt needs are out there and then meeting them. It's the faithful proclamation of the word which allows the word of God to confront sin. We're to rebuke that sin. Word is a sharp word. It means to censure or rebuke sharply. This word only occurs 29 times in the New Testament, and only one time does Paul use it. It's a strong word used of Jesus' rebuke of the demons. It's that same word. We see then that it consists of a verbal challenge where we openly or publicly charge error or sin. Rebuke is the process of reproving the sinner where we actually sharply reprimand them. The point is that the seriousness of our sin must not be toned down. We tend to use a lot of other words for our sins today. Mistakes. The way I was born. Just my personality. It's just who I am. I can't help it. We use a lot of these things today. But as God's word is preached, the issues must be so clearly drawn that the erring Christian, the sinning Christian, and the unconverted can see their own dreadful, sinful condition. In short, we should not always walk away from the preaching of the word of God feeling good about ourselves. If that happens every week, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, then that person is not presenting the word of God. However, We also are to exhort. This word means to encourage or to implore. Exhort means that hand in hand with reproving and rebuking the sinner, there also needs to be tender encouragement. That if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That you can work out your salvation. For it is God that works in you both to will and to work according to his good pleasure. That God is working in you to make you right. To exhort means that those who've been rebuked need encouragement. They need comfort as well. Each person needs to be shown the means whereby sin can be forgiven and spiritual life can be strengthened. To rebuke without instruction is to leave that root cause of sin untouched. And so, as a preacher faithfully dives into the Word of God and the presentation of the Word of God, it also should be encouraging. And just as if you are walking out Sunday after Sunday feeling amazing, That preacher's probably not handling the entire Word of God. If you walk out Sunday after Sunday after Sunday feeling like you've just been through nine rounds of a battle, the preacher's probably not handling the entire Word of God. We ought to recognize that while we are penitent sinners, God is faithful and just to forgive and to grow us. And even as we work through the Word of God, we are to do so with complete patience and sound teaching. He says, do so with complete patience, all long-suffering, forbearance. You see, God, as a general rule, does not change people, does not transform people overnight. The path of growth, the path of sanctification is a long, hard path. People don't change quickly. There are times when it will appear that no one is listening. That no one cares. And it is in these times that you need to be patient. We're to patiently let the Holy Spirit work in the heart of the individual and manufacture true change. One man says, Christian reproof without the grace of the long suffering has often led to harsh A harsh attitude, intensely harmful to the cause of Christ. You see, because change takes a long time, it's easy to buy into human methods to affect change. To buy into techniques to to win friends and influence people and get them moved where we want them to be moved. Preacher must never resort to the use of human pressure techniques or attempt to contrive a decision or create the perfect environment so everybody will react. No, our responsibility is to be faithful and to preach the Word. And the results of the preaching are the responsibility of the Holy Spirit. And we can afford to wait patiently for Him to work. And so even as a church, as we grow together, As we see changes that need to happen in one another's lives, it's easy to get frustrated. Why can't they figure it out? God's not done with them. Be patient. Let the Holy Spirit work. What happens when it seems, though, that no one's listening? What what happens when the going gets tough? What what do we do when the Word of God offends? He tells us. We teach. He says we're to do it with long-suffering and teaching or instruction we continue to instruct in the word of god because the word is always the answer now you have a role in this and your role is to demand and to seek out and to value the right preaching of the word the third way in which we observe this vital importance is through the challenge to preaching verses three and four for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate themselves, for themselves, teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Notice that Paul begins with a definite statement. The time is coming. And I will say, the time is here. As we look around at the state of Christianity in our own country, we can state with all confidence that time is now. The time is marked by three characteristics. One, man will not endure sound teaching. The word endure means they will not put up with it. They want nothing to do with it. They won't have anything to do with healthy right doctrine, training and doctrine. The first distinguishing feature is described in terms of of boredom. Apathy, even annoyance. the people here are pictured as more interested in something different, something sensational than they are in healthy preaching of the Word of God. They'll not put up with it. They find it boring, offensive and foolish. When healthy preaching of God's Word is presented, they are not interested in the truth itself, but only in the way it is presented is the interesting. Is his voice pleasing? Does he have charisma? Does he have style? And as a result, we see the second that man will accumulate false teachers. It says they desire to have their ears tickled. They desire to have their hearing tickled by beautiful sermons and only those messages that they want to hear. And as a result, they'll accumulate to themselves teachers who will give them what they want. Interestingly, they're pictured as accumulating these teachers. Rather than hearing one correct teacher, they build a wall of teachers as if the sheer number of these men will make them right. They find the demands of Scripture unpalatable. So they pack the pulpits of their churches with preachers who tell them only what they desire to hear. They figure out the felt needs and then meet those. And they substitute their fancy for God's revelation. The, the criteria by which they judge preachers is not as it should be God's word, but their own taste, their own ideas. They don't first listen and then decide if it's correct. They decide what they want and then they demand that. The picture is of them having their ears tickled as if they heard what they heard merely scratched their eardrums without passing through it instead of faithful proclamation of god's word it's like the picture of a scratching a dog's ear oh that feels so good oh yeah right there that's what they're after they want the sounds they hear to make them feel good they move The point of worship of God and His truth to themselves and their feeling. They want positive reinforcement. They don't want rebuke and correction. Instead of receiving God's word, they fiercely reject it, wanting rather to have their ears tickled with unbiblical ideas that raise their comfort level and that justify or overlook their sins. They reject as unloving anyone who would dare hold them accountable to biblical beliefs and moral standards they deem outdated or or irrelevant. Not for today. And as a result, the preacher whom they least like to hear brings the message they actually need to hear the most. This is not new. The church father, Clement of Alexandria, made this statement. There are always teachers that are willing to scratch and tickle the ears of those who wish to be tickled. And as we look across the landscape of America Christianity, this is the place we find ourselves. It was also found in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 5, 30 and 31, An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely. The priests rule at their direction. My people love to have it so. But what will you do when the end comes? We are familiar with Isaiah 6, where Isaiah is confronted with the person of God. He sees who he is and he concludes with, Here am I! Send me! But we often ignore the next two verses, verses 9 and 10. God says, go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the hearts of this people dull and their ears heavy and their blind eyes blind. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. The reality is the world from the beginning has desired to hear what they want, not what they need. And so we preach the word. The third characteristic we note is that as a result, man will turn away from the truth. Turn away there has a medical usage referring to the dislocation of limbs. It's moved out of where it's supposed to be. So Paul is stating that when you turn away from the truth, you leave yourself vulnerable to be ripped out of joints spiritually by satanic influence. They cannot stand the truth because it can be hard and uncomfortable. And so God's redemptive truth that deals with damnation, deals with the necessity of interchange, they can't stomach that. And so they reject it. But this rejection comes at a high cost. You see, when God's truth is rejected, then Satan's falsehood is inevitably followed, inevitably embraced. In other words, deliberate rejection of God's truth makes someone vulnerable to Satan's lies. One man said, Many churches today are filled to overflowing with those who want their ears tickled with the myths of easy believism, the focus on self-esteem and so-called positive thinking. They come to church to have their egos fed and their sins approved, not to have their hearts cleansed and their souls saved. They want only to feel good, not to be made good. Tragically, such myths deserve to re- serve to rich, religiously isolate people from the true gospel and drive them still further from the Lord. This happened in the day of Ezekiel. He says of the people there and behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. And in the midst of this downgrade and apathy to the word, how are we to respond? As we see this across the landscape. What should we do? We see this in the final reason given for the vital importance of the preaching of the word. The solution of preaching. He says, as for you, these other people want their ears tickled. They're accumulating these people who will give it to them. But you always be sober minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. He gives him four commands here. One, be sober minded. This idea is to be vigilant or considerate or discerning. Well, the world around us is losing their heads. The church and the preacher are not to lose theirs just because the people reject the word does not mean it's lost its power. It is still the inspired, sufficient Word of God. So the church and the preacher are to practice self-control, they're to remain steady and calm and sane, not to become intoxicated with a craving for the sensational and the exciting, while other people are racing off in an empty quest for trendy religious innovations were to be self-composed and self-disciplined to faithfully preach the word. But this means, secondly, we are to endure suffering, to suffer misfortune and hardship. You see, there's no such thing as a faithful ministry that is not costly. Too many of us want cheap Christianity. Christianity. The kind of Christianity that that makes us feel good while demanding nothing of us. But true biblical Christianity, true biblical ministry is costly. You see, a painless ministry is a shallow, fruitless ministry. And so we are called to persevere and preserve the faithful, right preaching of the word, even if that entails suffering for it. Although the people won't listen, the church and the pastor must faithfully persist in teaching it and be prepared to endure suffering on account of the truth we refuse to compromise. We have to remember that the measure of success in ministry is not the packing of the pews. It's not tranquility of life. It's not feeling good it's not sensationalism or excitement or innovation the measure of success in ministry is faithfulness faithfulness to the proclamation of the word of god so the church must demand and seek out and value the right proper preaching of the word the third command that is given though is that we must evangelize it says, do the work of an evangelist. Every Christian is called on to be a witness to Christ, not only by life, but by lip. And because of the failure of the American church and the desire of the people to turn away from the truth and keep up fake Christian teachers, we cannot fail to proclaim the gospel. Because if we don't, it won't happen. We must regularly share it. For many who are banking on words they said as a child are ignorant of the true gospel and headed to eternal wrath. They've been told that because they said some special words, they're good. They don't know the gospel itself. So we must always be concerned with announcing the good news of man's redemption through Christ. Finally, we must stay the course He says, fulfill, carry out, be fully convinced of your ministry. No half-hearted professional performance will satisfy the spiritual needs of God's people. So no matter what happens around us, we must stay the course as a church on our purpose of glorifying God through the faithful proclamation of and obedience to God's word. Even if the people forsake the right preaching of God and his word in favor of preachers who will tell them what they want and churches who will do what they want, who will scratch their ears with feel-good messages, we must stay the course and fulfill our ministry. As John Calvin puts it, the more determined men become to despise the teaching of Christ, the more zealous should godly ministers be to assert it, and the more strenuous their efforts to preserve it entire, and more than that, by their diligence to ward off Satan's attacks. If you truly believe that this is God's book, that it is the inspired, sufficient word of God, then you cannot allow man's innovations to replace the faithful proclamation of what God has said. And while dramas may be inspiring, while concerts might energize and play to our emotions and pack the house, and while circus flying trampeze artists flying across the stage is, is certainly exciting, None are the effective, sufficient Word of God. We cannot ignore God's charge to us. While others may falter, we must preach the Word. So, you must demand and seek out and value the proper preaching of the Word. These are your three so-whats, your three walking orders for today. Demand, seek out, and value the proper preaching of the word. You have to hold the church accountable to it. You cannot allow us to waver from it. You ought to regularly say, show us Christ that means, number two, that you have to develop a taste for the right preaching of the Word of God. You might say, it's just boring. It's not exciting. It's passe. You have to develop the taste for it. How do you do that? By immersing yourself into it. Like many of you, I love coffee. But to be perfectly honest, some of the first times I tasted it, I thought, why would anybody like this at all? But through a regular, steady diet of coffee, you develop a love for it, a desire for it. How much more for the preaching of the Word of God. So perhaps instead of turning on the radio... You turn on a message. Perhaps instead of turning on the TV, you listen to Sunday's sermon. Develop a taste for it. Number three, stay the course, fulfill our charge. As society continues to degrade, as morality continues to fade, The preaching of the the gospel of Christ, the preaching of the word will not become more popular. It will become even less so. That means it's going to become harder. But we must stay the course. For our call is to be faithful. Our charge is to proclaim the word. So stay the course and fulfill our charge. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word that we might know what you expect of us. We thank you for this church that demands the preaching of the word, that demands the right teaching of the word, that values it and longs for it. Thank you for the blessing that they are. I pray that we would never falter, that we would love your word that we would faithfully proclaim it to our neighbors and our friends and our co-workers, that they might find peace and joy and satisfaction through a relationship with You, recognizing that it is the truth. It is the answer. Lord, help us not to falter. Help us not to fail. But rather, to be sober-minded, to endure suffering, to do the work of an evangelist, and to fulfill our ministry. We love You.